G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Tinker is a hospitality and small business marketing specialist. He's also a business success coach, author, speaker, and trainer. It was actually Howard who introduced me to one of the previous guests, Malcolm Larry, who from a lot of you listeners, I have heard a lot of great reports and great feedback about that episode with Malcolm. So you can thank Howard for connecting Malcolm and I. Howard and I have been connected through a business accelerator program that I'm in called Key Person of Influence. In this episode, we discuss Howard's coaching philosophies that he uses to help people experience self-mastery through mindset, skill set, and environment, agreements that Howard has kept in his life that help keep him in alignment with his values, beliefs, and mission, how to identify and change our limiting beliefs, how COVID wiped out more than 60% of Howard's business within three days and what he did to pivot and evolve, and how that evolution of his business from COVID has allowed him to love his work again, not just like it, but actually love it again. We discuss what business coaching Howard is doing through Dent Global, Key Person of Influence, and his personal coaching business, plus so much more around personal and professional development. You can find all Howard's info, all of his books and coaching opportunities at howardtinker.com or at restaurantprofits.com.au. And legends, just a quick reminder, this podcast is not sponsored and I love bringing you wisdom-filled legends like Howard. So if you could please subscribe, rate and review this podcast on whatever app you're listening to it on. I'd be extremely grateful for your support. The subscribing, rating, and reviewing ranks the podcast higher. So when busy, in-demand guests are weighing up which podcasts they say yes to and which ones they say no to, they look at those stats. So it truly helps support this show to keep bringing you the immense value and inspiration that I trust that this show provides. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Howard Tinker. So, Howard, the the last part of your About Me section on your website says, I saw a pattern that intrigued me. It showed up everywhere where I saw success of happiness. When three aspects of a person's life were working in sync, they were happy, fulfilled, growing, and by their own or others' measures, they were successful. The three areas are mindset, skill set, and environment. There are more refined elements within the origin, the original three, which is you said there's actually nine elements that I coach people on so they too can experience mastery over themselves and the situations that they find themselves in in life. Mate, I love this. When I read that, I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to unpack this with you because 
this is my jam. And what I would love to know from your few more laps around the sun than what I've had and uh, your, your bit more wisdom than what I've got is what is it that you've discovered with, with these three key elements of uh, mindset, skill set and environment and these, these sub-elements as well that, that allow people to be in sync, that allow people to feel and be happy and fulfilled and that, that more holistic aspect of successful? What is it that you've discovered around these elements? Well, we could talk for a year on this. And in fact, I do. I run a 12-month program on this. So (laughs) (laughs) how far down this rabbit hole do we go? So yeah, so mindset, skill set and environment. Um, I just noticed it, even with myself, when when I was wanting to change or wanting to improve at something, there were always these three parts. Um, you know, let's say I was learning to do a sport. There's a skill set that I have to learn. And then there's a mindset shift of I can't do X to I can do X, um, or I'll never do X, or I'm okay, but I'm never going to be that good. So there's a mindset shift there. And then the other thing is the environment. So, you know, the environment roughly is who, what, and where, you know, who do you have in your environment? What is your environment? You know, like the community around you, your connection to things, um, and where, you know, where is like the physical sense of your environment? So, you know, there's been times when we've moved from a really nice house into a place that's not been so nice. And I know my energy comes down and that's just because, you know, the light's different living in a different place. So the environment's incredibly important. Um, you can battle your way out of a bad environment and, and still succeed. However, what we're talking about is like getting all the pieces right so that it's, it's um, more likely that you'll succeed and be happy. So the big one for me is mindset. Um, the skill set, most people can learn a new set of skills. It depends if they want to go elite, in which case not everybody can do that. Um, and you can learn a new set of skills. But the mindset is the is the gateway, really. If you don't change your mindset, if you don't work on your mindset, then you will not change. Your skills will maybe improve, but then just like an elastic band, you'll go back to where you were before. So for me, mindset is the key. And so when I look at mindset, I break it down into four different areas. So the, as, as you rightly said, there's nine elements, but mindset has four of them. The most important one probably is, is taking responsibility. And um, I credit a company called um, the Conscious Leadership Group where they say it's radical responsibility. It's where you always look for where are you responsible in this situation? You know, good, bad or indifferent, where are you responsible and what difference can you make to your behavior, your mindset, your involvement in something? Where can you take responsibility regardless of what else is happening and what anybody else is doing? Um, how can you take responsibility for that? And sometimes you don't want to. Like sometimes things happen and there's a part of you wants to be the victim that wants to say that's not fair they're to blame. There's a part of you that wants that. However, 
if you're going to change, if you're going to be successful, you've got to get yourself out of that dip. You know, you can wallow in it for a few minutes, if you like, then get yourself out and, and look at, you know, where was I responsible in this? You know, what did I do collaborate with the others or if I didn't do anything let's imagine a child gets hurt by someone and the child's powerless because they're they're not they've not got the physical strength or the the frankly the ability to get out of a situation you would say that child is not responsible however how that child then integrates that incident into their life and then chooses to respond to that incident later in life they are responsible for that so the big one is radical responsibility and i can break that down even further in in a while if you want the other three elements are your beliefs your values and your identity um and sorry so- before we go into that i think that that's a really good thing that you were just talking about there with that responsibility piece because when i became aware of this this terminology around you know, you're responsible for everything that happens in your life. That was the way it was put to me. And this was not long after my grandparents were murdered. And I thought, yeah. and I challenged the, this coach and I said, I'm not responsible for that. that yeah. what, what are you talking about? Like, you cannot say that statement and say that I'm responsible for that. And that explanation that you dived into there around, what are you doing about that situation now? How are you integrating into that life? Are you a victim of that circumstance or are you utilizing that to grow and develop and impact others, which is what I was on that journey. And so the responsibility piece is what you take from that and how you navigate that and the responsibility to understand it from all of those dynamics and the responsibility to um, to not let it be, not, not, not let yourself be a victim to the circumstance. The circumstances happened. What responsibility are you taking to allow it to be a growth phase and not a, um, I was going to say a death phase, but a, a, a non growth phase, let's say that, but more in the victim sense? Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, credit to Conscious Leadership Group. They talk about uh, four different. Um, spaces that you can be in in life and one is the victim space so you know that happened to you and to your family and you could say why has it happened to me what what did we do why did we deserve this this has happened to me then there's a there's another phase that you can go in which is by me it's a very entrepreneurial space which i the way i interpret it is this has happened to me. Now I'm going to do something about it. So, you know, moving away from what happened to you. So in, in COVID, we lost 63% of our, sorry, 65% of our business in three months. In th- Sorry, I'll say mm. that again. We lost 65% of our business in three days. So mm-hmm. that happened to me. So I was a victim of COVID, if you like. So the entrepreneurial part of me stepped in quite quickly and said, okay, I am, I'm going to do something about this. This is going to be something that's done by me. So that's the trigger and I'm going to change here and I'm going to change what I do. I'm going to power into something else. Um, I'm going to look at what I love and go after that, but I'm not going to sit here being a victim. So the upside of it is that, you know, you throw everything on your back and then you do the macho manly thing of like pulling everybody along with you and you're powering against the the grain. And it's great because 
when you're in that space, you're very energized, you're, you're going for it, you're probably doing, you know, 90 hours a week rather than your 40, and you create something. The downside of that is that it can only go on for so long before you burn out. Mm. And you also start to reject help from other people. And so you start to break away from your environment and your community. And, you know, we've all seen men that think they're doing a great job of being a, a partner in, in a relationship because they're working so hard. And their partner is saying, I didn't marry this business machine. I married mm. this person or I'm in a relationship with this person and I don't see them anymore. So we all know mm. men that get into that entrepreneurial, this is going to be done by me. We, but And there's another space that comes after that, which if you are working on yourself, it's called for me. So you say, how is this for me? So not to me, not by me, but how is this for me? And um, Jim Dethner, who is the guy behind, one of the guys behind Conscious Leadership Group, there's about three of them that, that are in charge of it there. He has this great saying that, if you believe that the um, the universe is benevolent, and by benevolent, it means it cares for you. It's got your best interests at heart. So if you believe the universe is benevolent and all it wants is the best for you, why did it bring this to you? What's the gift mm. in this? So why did that happen to your grandparents? What's the gift in this? So from a being connected to your blood family and that happening, there's no, there's no gift, but being a, a spirit on a journey for 70, 80, 90, 100, 120 years, whatever you're going to last, what's the gift for this spirit? What, what can this spirit learn from this? How can he, she move forward, upward, develop compassion, you know, all of those things. Mm. What's the gift in this for me? So what was the gift for me losing all that business in three days was that I, I stepped back and I went, what do I actually want to do? I've ended up down a, a, a cul-de-sac, a dead end street doing this job that I actually don't really enjoy that much anymore. And I've been doing mm. it for 18 years. And how long have I not really enjoyed it? You know, it's, it's quite a long time if I'm honest with myself. So, the gift in this is that I get to pause and I get to look at where I've driven myself down this dead end street and I get to back up and go, you know what? I've now got 75% of time to work on what I want to do for the next 25 years. I'll, I'll take that, you know, 75% of the time and look at what it is that I love, what I get juiced about. And I'll throw myself into that. And I, and I, of course I went into buy me, I'm going to do this. So I started really working hard on coaching. I went and did a load of coaching courses and I put it out there that I'm available for coaching in a, an international company that, you know, you and I connected through, wrote out to a few of their past clients and said, would you be interested in being a coach? And it was like, I'm saying I want to be a coach. And this email comes in saying, do you want to be a, a coach <laughs> for a global company? And it was like, yes, please. And so, you know, the, oh, the universe. Go, it, <laughs> Is that what this is about for me? You know, is, is it, I know COVID's done lots of things to lots of different people, but is this what it is for me? And, and I jumped in and yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving my work. You know, I, I liked my work before, but I am loving what I do. Mm, um, very excited. 
Um, it also means that I am now much more flexible. So I can, like you, I can jump in a van and drive off and I've got, you know, my laptop and I can work anywhere. Mm. Whereas before, you know, I felt like I needed to be around other people's businesses to, to be helping them with their marketing. Before so we dive into what before was, what, what was it? It's to me, by me, for me. What was the fourth one? The fourth one is, oh gosh, um, it's it's the I space. It's it's where, and it's the one that I I don't resonate with because I'm not that spiritual. But it's basically where you and the universe are, are one. Mm-hmm. So instead of me being separate and the universe is working for me, it's like me and the universe are one. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's. It's a bit more deep. Yeah. And, and I, I have to acknowledge that yeah. that one is, is at the moment beyond where I am. But it, it's, it's basically made up of this idea that, you know, the, the universe is, I don't know, three billion years old and it's made up of all of these atoms. And, and so are we. So we are mm. one. And, you know, so it, it's more about that really spiritual place where you let go and there are no problems. There's nothing to be solved. There's nothing to be done. We're just in, in, in some kind of universe, you know, one song. So, um, and for me, I've not got to that level of enlightenment. The fact that I can step back having been slapped in the face and go, where's the gift in this? I think that's pretty enlightening for me. <laughs> yeah, I resonate more at that level as well. I get what you're saying, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly um, I'm aware of enlightenment. Let's just say that. I wouldn't say I've experienced it <laughs> or resonating at that level. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's taking radical responsibility as well mm-hmm. is saying i'm not going to be a victim of this i'm going to go into these other spaces um and it's not levels it's not like you work up and then you achieve the next level and then you work mm. up and achieve the next level you can move through all four levels in a second and, and back down again it's just it's just where you are in that moment um and most of the time we're in victim yeah, mm. so um so it's a lot of it's about awareness. You know, where am I right now? What's this going on in my head? Am I pulling resources in or am I expending my energy being a victim here and looking for somebody else to blame? Brilliant. So what comes after taking respons- radical responsibility in the mindset piece? So beliefs, values, and identity. Mm. And a lot of the beliefs, um, we've no idea that we believe them, Um and we will do things based on beliefs that we have been given in childhood, been given by our culture, our parents, our family, our religion, our um, schools, our place in life. You know, I grew up very working class. So um, I used to have a saying when I was much younger, I'm working class and I'm proud of it. And mm. that's a very working class statement. If you go to the north of England right now, you would hear that. If you go into you know, the, the the union movement, you would hear that. I'm working class and I'm proud of it. And it's almost like um, a way of of saying, I don't care about you and your money and, and all of that stuff. You know, mm. I'd rather be working class. And, and the, you, you're already hearing the problem in, in mm. that saying, I'd rather be working class. 
while it captures strength and solidarity and community, that statement, at the same time, it divorces us from progress beyond that because Mm -hmm. the belief is that this is right and everything else is wrong. Mm. And one of the things that I learned about limiting beliefs is that there's one limiting belief, which is over-identification with the present state and no identification with the desired state. So if the present state Mm. is I'm in poverty and um, I'm just getting by and I'm working hard and I'm a working class lad, but I'm proud of it, I've got no identification with abundance and Mm. entrepreneurship and business owning and investing. So I'm actually denying myself the desired state by, by being solidly believing the present state. Um, so there's a lot around beliefs about what we believe and why we believe it. And um, there's a lot of hidden stuff as well. So Ooh, I yeah. do um, a process about hidden beliefs that um, there's like a six step process that I take people through. And these questions are just wonderful. They're so sneaky that you end <laughs> up saying things and you go, I didn't even know I believed that. Mm. And it's come out. And then what you get to see is I'm desperately trying to align myself, be congruent with a belief that's the opposite of what I actually want. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. And and what you get to see is, are you committed to change or are you committed to being right about something at an unconscious Mm -hmm. level? Mm. Powerful. So, yeah, incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, and Do you find you see- that that's some of the the most challenging work for people to face is the belief aspect is when they become aware of this belief that they've kind of lived by maybe unconsciously and you make it them conscious of that and they realize the ripple effect that that's actually had and will continue to have in their life. But beliefs are bloody hard to change. People often think that they're rigid and that's just, that's who I am. They attach that to their identity. Yeah. So there's a couple of things in that. So one of them is that when this you go through this process and you actually discover your own belief, because it is a discovery because it's unconscious. So when it comes to consciousness, it's like, oh my God, I never even knew I believed that. There's, there's a moment there, there's an opportunity there to uncouple yourself from that, from mm. that belief, because you go, that is bloody ridiculous. Why am I doing that? That's not what I want and and i can see all of the assumptions that come from this so let's say i wanted to be um wealthy but i'm proud but unconsciously i'm proud of being working class so i'm committed to being part of that community i'm committed to um staying below a certain level of income i'm committed to a certain level of education i'm not going to university you know when i this is true honestly i never went to london until I left England. So yeah, how far away in, from London did you live? Uh, probably a three hour trip to London. Wow. And it took me to come to Australia, which is uh, 13,000 miles away to <laughs> actually go visit London because London was full of the people that I didn't like the wealthy, mm. the successful, the arrogant, all of that. And I didn't want to add my money to their money. I didn't want to give them any more than I bloody had to. You know, it's like, wow. so I got to miss out on London 
because of a belief system. So I never got to see the museums. I never got to see the parks. I never went to the great restaurants. I never went to the theater because it was out of congruence with a, a deep seated belief. Mm. And yeah, so it can be as silly as that. So I got to miss out on all of that in my life until I grew up a bit and became a bit more um, aware of the joys in life rather than, you know, the keeping committed to being poor and miserable um, that I could go back from Australia and actually book into a hotel and go and enjoy all of that stuff and really <laughs> see what I'd missed out on in the first 30 odd years of my life. But I, I was working with somebody once and they, the, their light bulb moment was, oh my God, I'm committed to being poor. And, and she said, and this is a woman with a million dollar business. Mm-hmm. And I said, what, do you, how does that manifest? And she said, I never have enough money at the end of the end of the month. Like I've done all this money, this business, and I've made all this money and there's plenty of profit in it. But at the end of the month, there's nothing left. And she said, what I see is that if I stop doing that behavior, my assumption is people won't like me anymore. So she was buying her friendships, she was buying her family, she was looking after people that, you know, really could have done their own looking after themselves. And her assumption that was based on this belief is if I change this belief, I'm assuming people won't be there, they won't like me, um, I'll lose connection to my community. And so she stayed doing what she was doing. And then when she saw it, she was like, oh my God, I don't even like some of these people that I'm allowing to hold me back. Mm. And so that's where you can start to do some of the skill set stuff. You can start to say, well, what's one small thing that you can do moving in the direction that you say you want, which is becoming um, the opposite of in poverty, um, you know, wealthy or abundant or whatever it is that she said, I'll use her words. Um, you know, what's one small step towards that, that we can track for a week or a month. And she decided to track all of her spending on a day by day basis. So at the end of the day, she'd put how much she got on a credit card, what the balance was, how much she got in each bank account, what the business bank account was. And just by doing that every day, she was going like, oh my God, it's moving in the right direction. So she Mm. got the ball rolling, you know? So, Mm. so that's the thing. It's not just about uncovering beliefs it's it's about uncovering them and then understanding their purpose because it wasn't uh, beliefs weren't meaning to be bad to her Mm. they weren't meant to be detrimental they were meant to connect her to community so that she was accepted so that she was safe within her tribe you know Mm. so it was it the belief was doing its best to keep her safe unfortunately the negative other side of that same coin was that it meant that she wasn't growing and she wasn't moving into another community. She wasn't experiencing the joy and everything in life. So, so that's the beliefs that then values values are basically beliefs again, but they are some of the most important beliefs that we have and they are like our guiding principles in our lives. And they're contextual as well, Brett. So your values around work will be different to your values around family 
and your values around work and family will be different to if you go to a church. So, mm. you know, you might at work be high energy with your family. You might dance around and sing, sing with the kids, but at church, you're going to be low energy and respectful and so on. So fun and, you know, exuberance doesn't fit in the values of you being in church, for instance. I'm not a religious person. I'm just using a context there. So your values change depending on context. So when you say to most people, you know, what, what's your values? They'll say honesty, integrity, love, family, and so on. And many times they're right. And what's missing is the thing that they actually can't understand why they can't have. So I was talking to somebody the other day that's a very, very experienced businessman and he, he can never make money. And I said, so what's your values? And he went through all these values and money wasn't in the values. Mm -hmm. I said, do you realize that you don't value money? And he was like, mm. I have never realized that. Never realized that. And so, like I said, it's a guiding principle. So if it's not in there to guide you, you're not going to be guided by it. You're not going to see it as important. And so- So can you add do, that as an example? Can yeah. you then add that value and then- Yeah, yeah. for sure. There's, there's certain- um, psychological processes that you can go through with people. You can't just add it by saying, oh, I'm going to add it in. You've mm. got to basically do some pretty deep work with people so that you can reorganize their league table, if you like. Um, league table? League, league table, their hierarchy. Okay, yes, yes. And so yeah. essentially, would you say then, that they need to believe it. So looking back at beliefs, they've got to believe that they value money because it's one thing just to say, oh yeah, I value money, I'll value money now. But how do you make them, how does that become a so, uh, like a subconscious and conscious patterning of what they're doing if they don't actually believe that they value money? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. And and we, I, we could go down a therapeutic rabbit hole here. So I, I'll tell you a little bit. And then if anybody wants <laughs> to know more, they can they can ask for the in-depth but basically so let's say your values were integrity health um family fun can, can we for this example can you make health the one that i want to implement because part of my mission is that i want i i believe that if everyone valued their health as their top core prior top core values then the 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 ripple effect into their life would be fundamentally different. Many people do. Many people say that they do, but their actions don't align with that. So if, say, if we realize, we list out and we say, do you realize that health isn't actually one of your top core values? And so can we use that as one of this example? Yeah. So let's, let's do that. And let's say, so it's integrity, work, money, friendship, um, and, and then health's not there. Now, all the other ones are really valid and, and they're very good as well. You would say somebody who has them is going to live a really well-balanced life, but it's only going to be a short one because <laughs> if, <they're, laughs> if they're eating the wrong things and, you know, not exercising and so on, they, they might live a nice life, maybe a nice short one. Um, so, the thing that you do in it, and here we go down the rabbit hole, is that you work out how people code in their brain um, their beliefs and values. So if just, just to give you an example, and I'm going off a little bit of a tangent here. If I say to you, um, 
If I say to you, think of a happy memory. Okay, can you think of one? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got to choose one. I've got many. I've got one. No, just just that you can do it, yeah? Okay, yes. Yeah. Okay, and then if I say to you, think of a sad memory, can you think of one? Yes. All right. So imagine that in your brain there is a filing cabinet or a series of filing cabinets. And inside those filing cabinets, there is, you know, the usual hangers with pieces of paper in. How do you know which drawer to go in to find a happy memory? And how would you find it amongst the billions of memories that you've got? How would you choose the happy one? How did you know where to go and get it? I don't know how, I just know it's there. Yeah, exactly. You don't know how you do it. So let's pretend that all in your filing cabinet, all the happy memories have a red dot on the edge of them. So when you open the filing cabinet, you just pick out a red dot and you've got it, right? And all the sad memories have a green dot. Okay, so you go sad memories. Oh, yeah, here we go. Got a green one. And I don't know, money memories might have a blue one and so on and so forth. But mm. there's a filing system right? Otherwise you couldn't find them. So if I said to you, think about you brushing your teeth six weeks ago on a Tuesday, you'd go, uh, uh, I can't, <laughs> I can't picture it, but, but I know I did it, but I can't picture it because it's filed in a way that it's not important. All right. Mm. So let's say that all of your experiences is coded like that. So this is when I work with people that have suffered traumatic experiences, this is what I do. I take the dots off those memories so they can't find them anymore. Okay. So if we want to look at, let's say integrity was their number one value, I would want to know how they code that. And it's a lot more complex than a red dot or a blue dot mm. or a green dot or whatever. But there's a way that they code that in their life so that it always comes up in their, in that context. Okay. Sure. So if then we know that they code it in and they, uh, let's go back to the dots, but it's not as simple as this, but let's say they code integrity with a red dot. What would happen if I got hold of health and put a red dot on it and got hold of integrity and put a blue dot on it? Health would come up because they code it higher they code it in a way that it'll come higher up their hierarchy mm -hmm. i know that sounds kind of weird and no this it is, makes sense it makes sense and until you've experienced it um it's just a theory but i've had experiences where i've had that done to me and it's weird it's like it's almost like the, the program doesn't kind of work. It's a bit like the matrix. It's like, but what's happening here? Mm. Or why is it that I'm happy all the time? You know, if you put happiness or fun higher, because I'm a very serious person normally. I, I, my The thing that turns me on is learning. So I'll sit with books and I'll, you know, do things to learn rather than going out to the pub with my mates. You know, I'm, a, I'm quite an introvert and quite serious. So if somebody you know, coded fun above studying, then suddenly I'd be doing things and enjoying things that I don't currently value because I value oh. education and growth and learning higher. There's a great book for anyone who's really interested in this stuff called Timeline Therapy and the Basis of Personality by a guy called Tad James. 
Now, most people that buy that book only read the front half because it's about timeline therapy, which is very exciting stuff. The back of it looks extremely boring because it's all about coding and tiny little programs that run below the surface of our consciousness. But in the back of it, you actually get to see this stuff and learn how to do it. And there's an example where this guy's there with Tad James, the guy's called Marvin, Marvin Oker, actually. And Marvin comes in and he's, he's a real fun person, but he's got no money. So he says to Tad, will you do this? So put money higher, but fun lower. So put money above fun. And so he does, and you can read how he does it. So you get to see the actual mechanics. Mm. So you can go through and do that. And the story, so the story goes, and I don't know if it's in the book that Marvin came back after a while and said, I am making more money. That's for sure. But I'm not having fun. Can you put it back the other way? Aha. Brilliant. So good. (laughs) And is it possible to reverse engineer it? Yeah. Yeah. Of course it is. You just, you just put the red dot back where it belongs and put the blue Mm. dot back. It's not as simple as that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's auditory stuff. There's feelings. There's visuals. Mm. There's black and white versus color. There's all sorts of stuff where you do your coding. Um, But that's how you change values. So when I'm teaching values, the first thing I teach people is that they do have a hierarchy of of beliefs, which Mm. are values. Um, and, And the other thing is that, you know, most sane people have different values in different contexts. So your crazy people don't. So they Mm. might have like disco dancing is their highest thing in their life. They love it and they do it everywhere. You know, they do it in the shopping center. They do it in the classroom. They do it in church. (laughs) They do it in meditation retreats because they've got no way of changing context. But Mm. most sane people do have different values in different mm-hmm. contexts. So the first of all is the, oh, wow, yeah, I never thought about that. I, I do always lean back on X, whatever it is. I do find myself keep doing X. In, it can be in a good way. One of my values is service, service to others. So no matter what I do in my work, I find that I always find a way to be service in, in, of service to others. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so it's just that's, an important value for me. Um, and so when I'm teaching values, I teach that. And then we will possibly, if we've got time in that session, I'll take somebody through uh, changing one of their values in the hierarchy and um, and showing them, you know, an example of that so that they get to feel the change. And then the next thing is identity. And identity is so, so powerful. So we've had responsibility, we've had beliefs, values, and now identity. And this is one that I know you know about this and you deal with this with people that have been at an elite level and then their identity changes. So they go from being loved by everyone and seen and high-fived and cheered on to um, being a has-been, if you like, Mm. you know, in the sporting world. You know, the sporting world, as you, as you know, lasts, if you're lucky, for 10 to 12 years. And then after that, you've got another 60 years of who the hell am I now? Mm. And so an identity statement is I am. So I am an athlete. I am a father. I am a writer. I am a... Anything that starts with I am is an identity statement. And what I listen to when I listen to people is their 
what they claim as their identity and then you know like working with that to challenge that is that who you are is that really who you are or is there more to you than that you know tell me about something else that you are just so to loosen it up a little bit and to help them to develop other values for themselves around their identity so you can be a sporting icon and a father mm. and you can like nick kyrgios refuse to be a sporting icon refuse to play the game like everybody wants him to be this certain way and he keeps saying no i'm just me doing me mm. you might want me to be that way but i'm not engaged in that you're engaged in it you want me to be a good boy and do what you want me to do but no i'm not i'm not going to have that identity this is the nick kyrgios identity i'm doing me you know and we mm. hate it because we want him to bloody conform you know we want him to <laughs> to be a good boy but i actually admire his strength of will and his ownership of his own life to do it his way even if it pees everybody off including me at times i actually <laughs> admire him for being him and not conforming because he's only got his 70 80 90 years just like the rest of us so why mm. should he conform to something that we all want and he doesn't? Mm. But that's that's when you know the the sporting public has a, a an image of an identity and they want people to conform to it. Look at McEnroe and the Stasi years ago; that it was the same argument. You know, be good. Yeah. And and he's the modern day version of that. And we as a culture want him to be a certain identity, and he's saying no. And that takes a lot of power to say no in that way i think of a transfer across to acting and a jim carrey for example who was completely out of the box and non-conformed and his identity and a, a robin williams and yeah. people like that yeah. so you can see where it works in in favors with non-confirmation and an identity of this is who i am and this is how i'm showing up like it or mm. not in a non-disrespectful way mm. Yeah, Kyrgios just needs to understand the non-disrespectful bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, so identity is very, very powerful. And it can make us do things that are not in our own best interests. I am I, a working class man. I am. Mm, yeah, so, and that's where it's shown up in my life where, and I see the overlap of values and beliefs and not understanding the limiting beliefs and where the identity piece comes in. Similar kind of way. I grew up in a, a small country town, mining town, and I went away as an athlete. I worked in the mines a little bit before I finished school and I went away as an athlete and studied sport and human movement and um, therapy and coaching and went down that path. But I always had this belief that if it doesn't work out, I can go back to the mines and earn good money. And obviously, my identity piece was I'm like, I, I am the son of a miner. I am capable of mining. I am, uh, you know, I am a country boy, but that's not what I wanted to do. And I have zero judgment. A lot of my dear friends and my family and my dad work in the mines. It's not that, that there's anything wrong with that. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. But without even realizing it, it was a limiting belief until it was unpacked from a really good coach and mentor of mine. When I said that to him, I, if this coaching doesn't work out, then I know I can always go back to the mines and earn money. And he said, what's that? And that was the first time anyone had ever picked up on that. What do you mean by that? Like, where, where does that come from? What does that mean? And really honing in on that. And re I realized, oh, shit, no wonder I'm not earning any money from coaching. This was years ago when, and, and I had to do a lot of work around that. And then a lot of my limiting mindsets around 
what money I was able to earn and um, really, you know, what I was deserving of was limited by what I had heard people put figures on based on their jobs in the mines over times or the jobs as a coach and employment. And so, stepping out and creating my own business and understanding and really dropping a lot of these limitations that I'd put on myself through beliefs and through story, it was significant. It was bloody hard to change. At surface level, it was easy. I could say it, like what you said before, but going back into that filing cabinet and changing the dots around or taking some of those dots off, it took some time and effort. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if we dug around in that long enough, what you would find is that you've got an unconscious belief there that you're committed to, or you were, mm. um, that was actually holding you back. And your assumption was if I totally let go, or I'm, I'm brain mind reading here, but if I totally let go of the mining identity, I might fail. Oh, that was, ab- and I had never realized that until this person put that into me. So then when I realized that, I, holy shit, that, uh, am I a failure if I let go of that? Can I be a failure if that's not my quote unquote safety net? So it was all this just weird shit going yeah. on, but I had this this passion and drive to do really well in coaching, but it was also limited by this disempowering belief that I'd put on myself. Yeah. And there's, there's also that thing, you know, that the casinos and everybody ca- cash in on, excuse the pun, which is that you've invested so much into it, you don't want to let go of it. You mm. want to keep, you know, because the truth is, if this is true, if this is true that, you know, mining's not right for me, and I've spent 20 years holding myself back. I've wasted 20 years. Mm. So am I going to admit that that's what I've done? Am I going to admit to myself I've wasted 20 years? No, I can't admit that. I'm going to just keep that, you know, that little thing going. But yeah, that's, I mean, it's all this stuff. And this is what I love. This is what I really, really love. Um, And I think when people get to this point where they're willing to explore this, and that's what my program's about with these people is it, that I'm working with and I've been working with for two years, is that we explore this and they're courageous enough to put their hands up and go, all right, let's cut, let's cut some of these ties and see where mm. we go. Is They are engaged in change work. Most people don't want to change. They say they want to change, but what they mean is they want the outcomes to change, but they don't want to change. Mm. Why don't they want to change? Is it the actual work? Is it the unknown? What is it that you find most of the time that that they don't I, want to? It comes go down to a, a four-letter word: fear. It's fear. I'm, fear of I've what? been alive and survived this far in this way, and I know that if I keep doing it, I will survive. Mm. And so, when fear comes up around change. It's a, number one, it's about safety. Will I survive? And if you go, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to survive. Okay, will I be accepted, loved, and liked by other people? You know, mm. if you turn your back on the mining community, are you going to be accepted, loved, and liked? Or when you go home, are they going to say stuff to you to make you feel rejected from the mm. tribe? And so we've got a very primal thing there. You know, when, when going back as far as we know in human time, when you got rejected by the tribe, you were out of the tribe, vulnerable to being eaten by a woolly back mammal or something like mm. that. So you needed the approval and the acceptance of the tribe. So that's to do with safety as well. 
And then the third thing is control. So if I'm not safe and I'm not going to be accepted, at least I want to control the circumstances here. I want to control the context. And so one of the things I can control is, is not changing. I'll, I'll stay the same because I can control that and I know that I survive being this way. But if I let go of that, I now don't have safety. I, I don't know if I'm going to be accepted and I have no control over what's going to come down the pipe. That is effing scary. Mm. So most people don't change because they're so committed to the safety of staying the same. And so it's through work with people like you, it's through work with people like me that people go, okay, in this context with you, where we're all supporting each other, I'm going to let go of that. And I'm going to have, I'm going to throw the dice and have a go at being the opposite of committed to poor. So one of my, mm. you know, one of my clients is doing the opposite now and she's testing out, is she going to get rejected? And mm. you know what? She will by some people, but then she has to test out, do I care? Yeah, is it, who are the people that are rejecting her for her living more in alignment with what she truly desires and deserves? And that goes back to environment, right? Because you talk about the who, what, where, and so who is in that environment. If those people are rejecting you and you get to choose, well, yeah. should they remain in your environment? Is that supporting who your, your I say new identity, but your more aligned identity? Yeah. So we look at that. I mean, who do you want to invite into your environment? If you could start again- and you could invite them in. And I say, you know, if you open up your address book inside your phone, your contacts list, I guarantee that 80% of the people there you don't have much contact with at all. And of that 100%, there'll be about 20% that are important to you. And out of that 20%, the top 5% is where you get most of your love and your fun and your connection. So, you know, those are the people that you might want to invite into your environment. But one of the things that we talk about with the who, because we're talking about growth here, we're not talking about staying the same and in a way enjoying what we have. We're actually talking about growth and change. So one of the things that we talk about is who you listen to. So that top 5% might still have your mum and dad in and the people that have mm. a particular picture of you but it's like who you listen to. And so we look at who's going to challenge you, who's going to mm -hmm. champion you, who's going to mentor you, who's going to be an aspirational figure for you to look up to. And also the most important thing is who's going to hold you accountable. Brilliant. So we go through a whole process of, you know, what is accountability and what happens when you say you want to be held to account and what happens for the person who says they're going to hold you to account? What happens to them? Um, and, you know, the likelihood of them being honest enough to hold you to account. Yes. So, you know, you, you, you might say, you know, I want to do 15 minutes exercise every day, come what may. And you say, Howard, will you, will you be my accountability buddy on that? And, and the thing you're asking me is, is to tell you the things you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. So if you asked your best friend that, and let's say you said, I'm going to have a really good diet and that you've been on your diet for a week and you said to your friend, oh, I really fancy a piece of chocolate cake. Your best friend would say, you deserve that. You've done really well this week. <laughs> I, I'm not going to tell anyone. In fact, let's get one each. That's what your best friend would say. But what you're looking for is somebody that doesn't really care about you that much. You're looking for me. <laughs> that, that would say 
get your fat ass out of that cake shop and do 30 minutes today, you know, and <laughs> ring me when you've done it. Because I don't care if you reject me. Yeah. Right? But your friend does. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to do this and my accountability buddy is my wife or husband or friend or brother or whatever. And the trouble is they bring to that relationship all the other dynamics. Mm. So you really want an accountability buddy who is strong enough in themselves to risk your rejection and it's not going to hurt them it's because they've got to say the things that you don't want to hear. Yeah. Well said. Uh, that's, that's the first thing. And then the other thing is when somebody is willing, so when Howard's willing to be your accountability buddy and he's willing to go to that space to be rejected, you're, when I say, no, Brett, you didn't do it. You've, you've got to do it right. Like, I don't care if it's midnight, get outside and start doing some exercise. When I say that to you, there might be a part of you that's thinking, you, who are you to talk to me like that? You know, that defensive <laughs> ego part kicks in because it, it wants to defend its identity. It wants to defend you. It wants to be safe. It doesn't want rejection. And in that moment, you have to be big enough to say, thank you for speaking the truth. Thank you for caring enough about mm. me to tell the truth. And that way you've got this real amazing bond. The other thing is when you haven't done it, so let's say it's, you know, I ring you on a Wednesday and you should have done it Tuesday. I said, did you do it? And you say, no. The other thing that you do is that you create an atonement. So it's not a punishment, it's an atonement to get back to, you know, level pegging. So let's say you didn't do it on a Tuesday. Well, what we would have set up at the start is what's something that, it's not going to be a punishment, but that you don't particularly want to do. But if you break your agreement, you will do it. So it might be that, um, you know, you would give your wife a foot massage, for instance, <laughs> you know, and it's like something that you might do once a year or something like that. But if you break your agreement, you get to do it on the Wednesday. So she's hoping that you are going to break your agreement, by the way, just so you know. Or it could be, if you really want to amp it up, that you will donate a certain amount of money to mm. a, a cause that you don't like. Mm. All right? I've heard so that imagine, one before. Yeah, imagine that you were left-wing um, politically and you've got to donate, say, $25 to a right-wing extremist mm. political group. So it what it does, <laughs> when you're conscious and you think, do I do this agreement or not? You go, yes, I'm doing it because I yes. do not want to do that. I do not want to do that. And when you break your agreement and you do it, there's a part of you that goes, Christ, I'm staying awake. I am not going to go back to this sleepiness that, that allowed me to break my agreement. So set a good agreement, pick a good buddy, be grateful for them being honest set up an, an atonement um, and then set up a system for reporting in and out. And that's all part of the who that you have in your environment. Mm -hmm. So we work on that and we practice that and they all take on an agreement. And then um, the interesting thing is when you take on an agreement like this, I've been doing agreements like this for 25 years. So I have a daily agreement, which again, we've spoken about before. So mine is a minimum of 10 minutes exercise every day, minimum. So what that means is that most days I'll do 30, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours. But on some days, 
I don't get out of the house. I've been working. When I look at my watch, it's like midnight and I think, oh, what can I do? And I can do it for 10 minutes. So I'll do the 10 minutes. So I keep my agreement. Mm, just, brilliant. Yeah. So most people, when you say this to them the first time, they go, oh, well, I'll, I'll do 30 minutes running. And then, you know, <laughs> They get, they get to midnight and they go, oh my God, I've not kept my agreement. And then that voice kicks in that goes, nobody will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go, really? <laughs> yeah, it's just between you and me. We won't tell anyone. So, you know, it's like you need to be able to make it manageable on the worst days. And, mm. uh, and that you can do a lot more than that on another day. So for me, it's exercise for other people that have done it. I've done nonfiction reading 15 minutes a day. I've done meditation. I've uh, done a different type of one, which is no alcohol for a year. So every day I don't drink alcohol. So, you know, just do all sorts of different things, but mm. I've done it for a very long time and um, setting it up that way makes it work. Yeah, so that's a lot aligning with habit change there as well. And that's, I think that's a really good thing having those agreements to help and the accountability post to, to help with, um, with some of those pieces. You, you kind of nodded your head there. You don't agree with that in terms of allowing yeah, well, a habit change? No, I, I actually think the 21 days to break a habit is absolute bullshit. Cause I've done it is bullshit. Like, the science behind it is bullshit. I, what I meant was the, the commitment and the agreement piece. <laughs> yeah, but you need that kit always. You can't say I've done it for a year now. I'm stopping, or I don't mm. want. I don't need anybody keeping me accountable. As soon as I say I'm not going to do my account, my uh, exercise agreement. If I said that on December the thirty first, I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't exercise on the first or second of the new year, and I've mm. been doing it for now four years. Even though I think, mm. oh, I can do it on my own. I don't need the agreement. I, I'd be off. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be off it. Well because you, go, you, you revert back to the, the comfort zone. You revert back to mm. type. And it's only through having this, as horrible as it sounds, it's only through having this that I do what I need to do in order to become who I want to become. Soon as I stop, I go back to who I was. I'm sorry, mm. but that's... That's my experience. I've spent 25 years doing this, and that's my experience. That's why we need coaches. That's yeah, why exactly. Need you. It's not horrible. It's necessary. Yeah. yeah, and it's much nicer to believe 21 days and your habits change. It's, it's much nicer if that fairy story. <laughs> that's why I say it's horrible because it's, it's the truth. It's a horrible truth that I am not capable on my own of changing this behavior pattern. I need mm. a system in place in order that I do it. Yeah, and that's why I pick you up on horrible because I think it's the the necessary piece because often people say, I've had people say to me before, it must be easy for you because you're an athlete. It must be easy for you to be healthy. It must be easy for you to exercise often. It must be easy for you to um, be optimistic and grateful all the time because you've got a good life. And I think, well, is it easy or is it is it a choice? Is it it's Because it's pretty fucking easy for me to not get out of the house and just laze around. It's pretty easy for me to just kick back on the couch and not do anything. It's pretty easy for me to stay in a job where I'm guaranteed an income. It's pretty easy to do all of these other things. And it's actually not easy. It's just the commitment and leaning into these agreements. Like as you say, I've got many of these agreements without calling them agreements. And you know, some of them I call my non-negotiables. And these agreements that I have in place, um, 
you know, around those kind of things. So it's not easy. It's necessary because I want to love life. I want to give love. I want to receive love. I want to uh, absorb as much wisdom as I can from legends like yourself for as long as I can. And the easy, if I was to live the easy life, then that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be in alignment. I'm not going to have impact and all. So it's not actually easy to live this way. It's it's harder when I'm tired and the kids haven't slept and I've got a lot to do. It's bloody hard to block out that bit of time to go for a run or it's bloody hard not to eat when I'm hungry, but I know intermittent fasting is the right choice. And it's bloody hard for people like you, Howard, to jump in a cold shower when you hate the cold. (laughs) I had my three-minute cold shower this morning. I must admit, though, I, since stopping working with you on the program, I have missed about four days. So I, I haven't done it every day. And some of the days it's been so cold, I've done about a minute. But, and most days I do three. I did three this morning. And, and the interesting thing, because people will be listening to this and they don't get the context, is that I really hate being cold, really hate it. And what I learned by doing three minutes is that this aha happened, which is that story, I hate being cold, is a limiting belief. It's like I still don't mm. enjoy it and I can do it. And I can, in two after two minutes, I don't know if I'm so numb, I can't feel it anymore, but after two minutes, <laughs> my body actually relaxes into it and there's a little smile comes on my face and I feel proud of who I am. And this is all we're talking about is three minutes under a shower. And I'm saying that now and tomorrow morning I'll turn on the shower and I'll go, I don't want to do this. And then I just have to, st- I have to stick my head under straight away just to get it over and done with. And then I step in and I turn around all that stuff. But it's, it, it's not just doing the thing. It's the aha. It's the change of who I am. It's the change of my identity by doing the thing. And if I'd never done the three-minute shower, that part of my identity would have never changed. Mm. How else did that play out? Because, and for everyone listening, Howard uh, is a man that's hungry for development and growth. And uh, we we were connected through the KPI program and uh, I invited him into my program and he wanted to do it just to learn because he loves learning. As you can tell, he's got a lot to offer and also brought a lot of that offering and value into the community. But he did the the recent breakthrough program and the cold shower is a part of the non-negotiables with with the coherence breathing. So what was that ha- aha moment of that, that fear and how it had actually limited you? Because he called it a limiting belief that you became aware of. How had it limited you with water and cold oh, over the years? Okay. Yeah. So... So I would not get in the ocean with my family because it was too cold. So I'd, I'd go in up to about my knees and then I'd back out again. And my family are in there having a great time and my friends are in there having a great time. And, and I would, you know, I, I would just, I don't know, I'd be just so cold and so in pain from the cold that I didn't want to get in. And we've got a swimming pool. I live in Australia. It's a hot country. We've got a swimming pool. And there'd be times where friends and family would be in the pool and I'm sat on the side with just my my legs in. Um, Hmm. So, you know, I missed out on things in life because that belief was more important to me. That story was more important to me than the other side of that, which is like being in there and, and truth, you know, truth be told, I do go in the ocean and I do go in the pool when it's cold. But it takes a lot of 
like really beating myself up to get myself in there and within you know five minutes of getting into a cold ocean you, you feel okay or I feel okay anyway however it has got in the way plenty of times like my my wife will go you know like step 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 dive and she's in and mm. I'm there stood up to my ankles in the water and then she comes back out and I've never got in and I just turn around walk back up the beach with her She's, you know, had this amazing time in the ocean, being at one with nature, and I, I just <laughs> haven't. So I, I get to miss out on things like that as a cost of letting that belief be in charge of me rather than me be in charge of my beliefs. Mm. And that that feeling in the cold shower of the after the couple of minutes is when the the dopamine or the endorphins are released and it's yeah. uh, it's kicking in and you're starting to to feel good there. Mate, I'm uh, very mindful of time, and as you said, when we first got into all of the uh, the content here, that you could we could talk on this forever. Um, uh, do you have another five minutes? Yeah, keep going, yeah. keep going. I um, what? like I said, I, there's so much. I mean, we've not we've not talked about um, ayahuasca. We've not talked about um, the big moments in my life, like my parents dying and the insights from that about my spiritual teacher that made me do things that um, to push me out of my comfort zone, you know, uh, the fact that I'm dyslexic, you know, and what that's mean. There's so much we could talk about, um, but, you know, I just, didn't, I just don't know where you want to go. So let me say this, why don't we get you back on another time where we can have that, the, the kind of the theme, because I feel like that would be um, a, like a great aspect to your story that people resonate with and and there's a lot of value in sharing stories like that that we can draw from and you've already shared a lot as well so in in wrapping up for the last few minutes five or ten minutes whatever we've got here uh what i think would be interesting to kind of recap back to just thinking about people listening to this of that were impacted by covid as well and you said it knocked out 63 or 65 percent of your business in the first three days what was it that you were doing then that you liked but didn't love that was impacted in that way? And then how have you pivoted because of the, so you mentioned the coaching, but what else are you doing that you've pivoted to to be loving working life so much more now? Yeah, so my, gosh, <laughs> it's how do I put this in some context that people understand? So I ended up having a business that was a marketing business specializing in working with restaurants. Okay, there's quite a journey to get there, but that's where I ended up. Um, and for the last 18 years, that's what we've been doing. So we, we work with restaurants and we help them to grow their databases. And then we do the marketing to those databases. And in the early days, 18 years ago, I'd say you have to collect a database and they go, a database, what's a database? And they'd say, oh, well, it's all the names and addresses, phone numbers, uh, dates of birth, that sort of thing. And, and the restaurant owner would say to me, how the hell Am I supposed to collect, you know, I, I go to the table with a lasagna. What am I supposed to say? Give me your details <laughs> and I won't give you lasagna. So <laughs> so going back pre, you know, pretty much pre-internet or very early internet, that's where we were. But we managed to work out ways that they could do it. And we collected millions of people's data, which then we host. It's not ours. We don't own it. We host it on behalf of our clients and then we do regular mailings, email, hard mail to those lists. So 
that's what we were doing you know early days now when people go to book at a restaurant you click on a booking app you put your details in it collects the database for you <laughs> the funny thing is we still have restaurant owners that have got all this data and don't know what the hell to do with it so but anyway what we do is we collect data for people we host it we manage it and then we do the marketing for them on a on a monthly basis and because of the way the world's changed we do social media marketing as well and we have done hundreds of millions of dollars in sales over the last over 18 years. years yeah hundreds of millions of dollars for people wow. just doing that so that's what we do and even though we were doing marketing even in that i was still coaching people because people would come to me and say um you know i need you to help me with marketing for my business because my business is not working and we're really struggling and so on and so forth and so we'd start to do the marketing. And the reason that I like marketing to some degree anyway, is that it's the fastest way to put money in a business. If you get the marketing right, then money comes into the business. Mm. And then when people can pay down their debts, they can employ other members of staff, they can put systems in place, they can start to get their lives back. So most restaurant owners, though you probably wouldn't know it, work about 90 hours a week. Oh, I can imagine and, it would be tough work. And they get paid minimum wage mm. if there's any money left because everything else gets paid before them. So sometimes they'll work a week, 90 hours and not get paid at all. Mm. And they end up in a lot of debt because they are foodies that love food and hospitality, but they don't understand business very well, but they're just so excited to be doing this restaurant business that within 18 months are in a real mess. Mm. So that's when we usually jump in and we, we start to put things right again for them. But if you just give money to people, unless they've formed good habits and good behaviors, then they'll just do what they were doing before. You know, they'll go out and buy more expensive food for ingredients because they're into their food. But what we do is that we jump in and we coach them about what are smart things to do. So even though we were doing the marketing, we were kind of doing coaching on the side for free. And then, so I teach my team to do a little bit of coaching with them. And then I launched a, a coaching program um, two years before COVID. And then when COVID happened and, and lots of restaurants closed down and lots of restaurants stopped doing marketing, the funny thing was all of my coaching clients stayed on and they were restaurant owners. So they still mm. were losing money, but they were investing in themselves. And over the first year, we only lost one person out of that. And I won't go into all the details, but I did a lot more than I got paid for to help them and to, you know, to create things to make their businesses work. And in the middle of COVID, some of my clients were 300% up on profit versus what they were doing before COVID. So they had in the no restaurant line. business. Yeah. With the restaurant no dining closed. Room. With the dining room closed, they were making 300% more than they were pre-COVID, which is a really good metaphor because really? if you said to a restaurant owner back in, say, 2018, I want you to close down your dining room and I promise you, you'll make more money by doing <laughs> that. The, their mindset would have gone, this guy is crazy. There's no way I'm doing that. Now, COVID comes along and the government says, you've got to close down your dining room. So they've no mm. choice. And I say, okay, this is where you focus your mind now. This is what we do. Mm. And coach them and, and gave them the assets they needed. So 
so that's what we were doing. And then what I realized was I loved this coaching stuff that I was doing with them. I was coaching them three times a week, believe it or not. We'd get them together for 15 minutes on a morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it was just like, all right, how are you going? Are you hanging in there? Is there anything you need? Here's some things we've put together for you. Here you go. And then they come back on Wednesday and somebody would say, hey, I did this and this worked. And everybody else would be going, oh, I'm going to do that. So, cool. But we had this like 15 minute check-in and it was a mental health check-in. Basically, I was just trying mm. to keep them connected and happy and up. And they just boomed. They just absolutely boomed. And um, I had, I did it for free for quite a few of them as well because they couldn't afford it. And then as soon as we got to like one year in, I said, look, I can't afford to do it for free anymore. And they all went, oh, we'll pay. And so mm. my coaching took off, you know. And then, as I said, I realized that's what I wanted to do. And so I put it out to the universe, sounding a bit weird and woolly there, but, um, and, you know, opportunities have come in, you know, people like you, um, you know, say to me, Hey, can you help me with this idea or, or whatever? Mm. And I'm currently coaching people that I, I just never would believe would have been interested in working with me. I mean, people that have got so much money and such amazing businesses, but, They've been a, they've come to me through Dent and KPI, and then they get to know me and say, "Hey, you know, I'd really like some private coaching with you." And often I can see what they don't see. Um, going back to what I said earlier, I'm dyslexic, and so the the beauty of dyslexia is that because you are unable to think in a linear way, like schools teach linear thinking, because you're unable to do that, you have to think outside the box all the time, mm. all the time. So where you go from A to B in a straight line, I have to zigzag to get to, to B. <laughs> but the, the, the interesting thing is the kids that have been brought up in linear thinking hit a roadblock and they're stuck. Whereas I'm going, oh, yeah, of course, it's over here, over here, over here, over here. Now we're there. So when I look at somebody's business, I can actually see things that people can't see. And Brilliant. Yeah, and it's such a gift. Dys dyslexia is such a gift. I love that. Yeah, I say to people when I sometimes talk about it from stage, I'll say, you know, when I first begin, I say, I just need to let you know before we begin, I'm dyslexic. So I'll be writing on the whiteboard. And if you see something that you think is spelt wrong, it's not. It's just I'm more creative with my spelling than you are. <laughs> you just need to keep up. And then at the end of it, I'll talk a little bit about this. And then I'll say, so I'm really sorry that you're disabled. If you were dyslexic, you'd be like me. But unfortunately, you are only using like two-ninths of your brain for learning, <laughs> where I actually use seven-ninths of mine. You know, so... I, you know, it's, well, that's um, shifting from that victim mentality to the for me in your mindset aspect that you were going through earlier. And I've heard other many very sorry other very successful people with dyslexia say similar kind of things. And it's like with people that I work with, adults and adult men that I coach that have ADD. And how do we funnel that amazing energy? Because it's energy, and it's not that you don't have the ability to focus. It's just that you are. You have energy and it's directed in different ways in different times. And if we can direct that into something that you thrive in and you're absolutely passionate about, and lo and behold, it's, a lot of it is around business with these guys, uh, as long as they're not burning the bridges on the side, what a gift. And so I hear that in the yeah. same way that you say that with the dyslexia. I think business is about problem solving. 
Like somebody's it's got absolutely like, about problem solving, right? If we're not so solving Brett's a problem, got, how are we going to make money? <laughs> so Brett's got a problem and he comes to me and goes, I, I've got this problem. I, I can't work it out. And I, and I go, all right, I can see why Eastwood's doing it that way. What are all the other ways we can get to the same destination? And then that's what I present. You know, that's, that's mm. just the way I do things. My wife says, you are an amazing lateral thinker. And I think that's it. I go to the destination and then work out, you know, what all of the different ways to get there or even go to a different destination that's better. Um, But I don't see it as lateral thinking. I just see it as that's the way that I think, you know. Mm. It's only lateral to a linear thinker, whereas you're a dyslexic thinker. I won't even put dyslexic to it. That's that's your natural way of thinking. It's it's not – I actually – I'll take it, you know. (laughs) Well done. I don't – I don't see. I mean, let's look at that. Richard Branson, dyslexic. Uh, John Lennon, dyslexic. Mm. Picasso, dyslexic. Thomas Edison, dyslexic. You know, there's so many. I'll be in with my group. (laughs) Yeah. Lewis Howes, I'm not sure if you're aware of him. He's uh, he's dyslexic as well. So Orlando Bloom, great role model in in this industry. No, I love that. And so many people will resonate that with. If, if it's not dyslexia, if it's not ADD, it's some other label that they've either been given or given to themselves. And it's that opportunity to shift out of the victim of that and say, how is this for me? And what can I do with that in, from that mindset shift? Definitely. And not getting caught up in the embarrassment or any of that stuff. That's I had to get over mm. that as a kid. Um, you know, my, my Anyway, well, that's another time. But there was so much that went on in my childhood that was about labeling me and putting me down and making me um, feel inadequate. Um, And these were really important people that did that to me. And as a child, you take on those beliefs because Mm. you think these people are right. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that they weren't right uh, and I'm not right. It's just that we have different ways of looking at things. Um, <laughs> it's funny because my daughter's dyslexic. So we got a phone call when she was 17 from the school and said, I've got some really bad news. I, I think your daughter's dyslexic. And I said, yeah, I know she is. And they were like, what? I said, yeah, I've known since she was about five. And they were like, <laughs> what? And so they called us into a meeting and they were saying, Mr. Tinker, that was really interesting what you said over the phone. And I said, yeah, I watched her, how she was writing. And I just knew she was the same as me. I can see the patterns that she's doing. That's, that's what I do. And they said, well, why didn't you ask for help? And I was like, well, you know, we didn't really want a label as different to the other kids. And, you know, she's all right. She's, do- she's doing well. And my intention is that she goes through school and comes out a good person. You know, mm. remember I came out inverted commas stupid, and mm. I'm still living a better life than most of my teachers. So <laughs> I want her to come out a good person. Doesn't necessarily matter to me whether she is, um, you know, academically intelligent or not. So they were like, it was like I was speaking from a different planet. You know, they were they were academics, so they were thinking their way, and I'm coming from a more holistic point of view. Mm. And I said, oh by the way, I'm dyslexic and my mother was dyslexic and I've, I'm the author of two books. You know, it, it doesn't need to stop you. Yeah, it's like well it's done. Just, yeah. And I think it opened up their minds to thinking about it in a completely different way. And ways yeah. that they can teach and work with that individual differently to to bring them along as opposed to think that they're, they're special or stupid. Yeah. My daughter's uh, in her third year now of training to be a teacher. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> she will love when the dyslexic kids come through her classroom and her environment. <laughs> there spots, you go. She spots them already in her, in her prac, you know, when she's out there in the schools. She'll say to the other teachers, oh, I think such and such kid um, is dyslexic because uh, she can spot the patterns just like I could with her. Yeah. yeah, what a gift. What a superpower for a teacher to have. I love that. And yeah. all the lateral thinking that she'll bring into a, a uh, linear constructed system of a classroom. That's, that's really empowering, actually. Beautiful. Mm. Mate, I'm very mindful of time and we could talk forever, but I'm actually uh, just going to pull this curtain back. And we're, I'm in my van and we're about to jump in the van and go for a bit of a trip as well. And yeah. as we said, we'll have to get you back on maybe a few times actually to share a lot of your wisdom. But uh, for... For everyone listening, so obviously the transition now, uh, you're coaching and you're doing marketing. Uh, for, uh, there'll be lots of people listening thinking, well, shit, can I work with Howard if I'm not a restaurant owner? Is that what? Oh, yeah. It, what- I, do, I do marketing for so many businesses, so many businesses now. That was part of the pivot. We realized what we did didn't need to be niched to restaurants. We could do it. So I'm working with a corporate lawyer. Um, I'm working with with uh, trainers that work in the um, you know big corporates i'm working with a guy that is a adventure pt that takes people to everest and places like that work with lots and lots of different companies it it really doesn't matter i do really like working with small to medium-sized business because i like to make a different difference in people's lives so it Mm, really juices me if we're working with you know somebody that's small if if we work with a big business i don't feel like i ever see the impact on on the people um, so I really like to work with, with small business because then, you know, we can really make a difference for somebody's life. And the, and the coaching, yeah, I mean, obviously the mindset stuff that you've heard about, but I do business coaching as well. I love that. So for people that are listening and they want to get more from you in that capacity or even just to follow your work, how where's the best place to, to find you online? Um, probably the best one because we keep it so maintained is restaurant profits. So that's, that's my restaurant website, but it's, um, it's, uh, where I get all my emails as well. So it's www.restaurantprofits.com.au because I'm in Australia. So if somebody goes there and they can, or if they want to email me, they can email me at howard at restaurantprofits.com.au or if you look up um, Restaurant Profits on Facebook, you'll find us there as well. But yeah, email's probably best or the Restaurant Profits website. I'll link all of that in the show notes as well and uh, highly recommend. And you and I have been in chats and I'm doing a bit of uh, sort of productization, rebranding aspects before we dive into it. So for everyone listening, I'm definitely connecting with Howard on on this stuff as well. So not just absorbing his wisdom and uh, sharing the, the communication around this, but also uh, highly valuing his dyslexic approach to the the marketing world. <laughs> Howard, what would you like to, is there anything else you would like to say or anything you would like to leave the listeners with? Yeah. If you're interested in the mindset stuff, it's, it's a great journey and um, I'd love to share that with you. Um, you know, if you really want to push it, I, I love this stuff and um you know, and I can be your accountability buddy and kick you up the ass when you uh, when you uh, don't uh, do what you say you're going to do as well. But yeah, I, I absolutely love this stuff. I'm constantly exploring it, constantly working on it. And 
the joy that I get when I break through and and see the world differently. I love sharing that with other people and allowing them to do the same. So if you're interested in that, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. So thank you. Howard, you're a legend. You're a very genuine man with a lot of value and a lot of wisdom that you're bringing to the world. Keep shining your impact light to the world, man. Thank you, man. Love you too. Thank you. There you go. What a humble, wisdom-filled, genuine legend. If you want to explore working with Howard, you can connect with him at howardtinker.com or restaurantprofits.com.au. And I've linked those up in the show notes. Plus, I've also linked the book Howard mentioned called Timeline Therapy and the Basis of Personality. Just another quick reminder before you sign off from this episode and go and fill your ear holes with something else, I'm always extremely grateful that you have chosen to spend your time, your valuable time listening to this podcast. And my only ask is that if you're finding this podcast valuable, please share it with everyone else who you believe will also get value from it. And please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast app so we can keep bringing legends like this into your ear holes. Keep thriving, and as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.